Hey there. This is Conversation Piece, a podcast where me, Dave Melillo, talks to other people about cool stuff. But today we're going to try something very unique and different. We're going to use the word unique. I like that. We're going to watch a movie together. If you've ever seen Mystery Science Theater 3000, then it's going to be something kind of like that. I'm just going to talk over one of my favorite movies, the movie in question being Rounders, starring Matt Damon and Edward Norton, uh, plus a pretty comprehensive ensemble cast. It's a movie about poker, but it's also about life. So, you know, it could be enriching in so many ways. So here's how it's going to work. In just a few seconds, I'll do a countdown. If you stay on that countdown and you press play on the movie the same time that I say play, then we should be sunk up. And if not, there is some audio in the background. Uh, but yeah, this is either going to be the best or worst idea I had. I, I really don't know. So let's try it. Three, two, one, play. The Miramax sign just uh, just faded. I got the intro music coming on. Try to get this click off. Jesus Christ. This is gonna be a great experiment. If you guys can actually keep up with me watching this movie, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be great. I've had this idea for a long, long time, and I'm just finally getting some time to to sit down and do it. But uh, yeah, Rounders. It's one of my all-time favorite movies. Yeah, if you've never seen it before, this is probably the worst way to watch it but I don't care. Poker is something I've gotten into a lot too. I'm sure I'll talk about that as well. But at the beginning of this movie is uh, one of the best lines. Um, got a young Matt Damon. You got Miramax. I think that uh, that's, what's his name? Weinstein's spot. Way before that all went down. It's kind of crazy. It's got to be a 90s movie, right? Something like that. I'm going to look that up. Really? 1998, my prime. That's a good, uh, that's a good quote for life about the sucker. Yeah, that's one of them. Guys around here, I'll tell you, you play for a living. Mm-hmm. It's like any other job. You don't gamble. You grind it out. That's right. Your goal is to win one big bet an hour. That's it. Here it comes. It's coming up. I should have gotten that's water or something. Mm-hmm. But finally I've learned this. Tell him that. If you're too careful, your whole life can become a fucking grind. That's that's the one. That's awesome. I've been feeling that lately, you know. People who have a job can totally uh relate to that. You know, uh becomes a grind, man. If you don't do what you love, it really becomes a grind. You won't find it Teddy KGB is Oh shit, what's his name? This is one of his best roles. John Malkovich too. At the end, when you go, I, when I put it in you, it's great. Whenever I do a Russian um, accent, I'm actually doing John Malkovich in Rounders doing a Russian accent. It's not a, probably anything close to a Russian accent, but I don't give a shit. But uh, yeah, I've gone into poker a lot lately. I got a friend, his name is Sean. He's an actual professional poker player. I have a lot of respect for those people because, you know, as, uh, as Matt just... I think his name is, yeah, Mike McDermott in this movie. Um, as he pointed out, it's really a skill. It really is. And I think the skill is patience. That's what I'm coming to realize every time that I sit down to play poker. I think it's more about 
outwitting and outlasting and just having the patience to really wait for the right spot and obviously knowing what the right spot and what to do once you get in that right spot but it's really about patience I mean I've the reason why I suck sometimes I just want to play I just want to want to go for it but yeah I've come to really respect poker and it's such a great metaphor for life as well I mean I don't know just reading people and kind of Sometimes you have good luck, sometimes you have bad luck, sometimes you have the best hand and you still get beat, sometimes you have the worst hand and you win. I mean, it's it's kind of mirrors life, specifically. Oh yeah, what's his name? Uh, I like this guy. It's, um, shit. John Turturro. Turturro, yeah, what is he? He's... Not Mr. B. No, he's the butler in Mr. Deeds. It's so funny when people play those kinds of roles. That's all I see. I just see him as the butler from Mr. Deeds now. I don't actually see him as an actor, but sorry, John. Yeah, he's like the quintessential grinder in this, like the guy who actually feeds his family by playing poker. It seems like a good life, but, you know, I've been a musician, so I understand that glamorous lives or what looks like a grammar, glamorous life most of the time is not and I think that duly goes for poker players I mean imagine the ups and downs and the emotional roller coaster shit show that you have to ride in order to be a professional poker player I wish I uh, I wish I knew firsthand but there's also a guy's name is Jeff Boski I'm a big fan of watching his his YouTube videos he's great if you have a chance even if you're not into poker he's just a funny guy and, uh, I don't know, the way that he presents the whole scenario is really cool. So, Jeff Boski. I think his name, his real name is Jeff Slazinski, but, yeah, it's very interesting. And it's funny, my friends make fun of me because I, I think, like, poker got really popular probably right around when this movie came out, right? This is 98. I think right before then and right after then, Chris Moneymaker won the World Series of Poker, and then everyone started to think, well, shit, I could be a professional poker player, too, if this jackass can win the world series of poker and from there things have just blown up and uh you know it's it's crazy man like i've also thought about studying game theory because poker is all based on like uh well good poker players go by game theory optimal gto well let me get it up make sure i know what i'm talking about yeah he's talking about see doyle brunson gto poker not the pontiac gto the concept of an unexploitable strategy in poker derives directly from this. It refers to a decision in some particular situation for which an opponent cannot make a profitable counter. Another term for such a strategy is Game Theory Optima or GTO. It's something cool to look up to. Again, if you're a nerd like me, I, I like statistics. I like the math of things and the math of life. Um, game Theory Optimal is interesting. Oh, here it comes. This is some uh, this is good John Malkovich. <laughs> I just got a top two See, it's like stuff like this. It's interesting. So now not only is there math to poker, but there's also psychology behind it. You know, the way you bet, how you look, if you shake, if you do a certain move. Now he's eating Oreo. If you're not watching with me, uh, he's eating Oreos now, and this will come back to bite him in the end, no pun intended, but I always thought the Oreos were really funny. He has them in a chip holder, and say, do not touch. Grahet. It's like the Oreo is his oracle. He talks to it, and it tells him what he should do. 
What are you going to do, John Malkovich? Another good John Malkovich line. Oh, I don't know about a check there. Again, you could think you know what what situation you're in sometimes, even if you're a good player and, and you just don't. This movie is worth it just to hear John Malkovich's bad Russian accent. A hundred percent. I wanted to think that I'm pondering the call, but all I'm really thinking about is Vegas and the fucking mirage. <laughs> oh, man. It's a great scene here. I love the way this is shot, too. I wonder who, who directed it. I should probably know that, shouldn't I? See, I'm into movies, but I'm not, like, weird into movies. Um... Where like, or I'm not like a movie geek, but I love movies. I watch them all the time. Oh, okay, whatever. Am I watching Rounders? Yeah. Who directed Rounders? John Dahl. What else you do? Uh, he did a bunch of like '90 Joyride, 2001, Paul Walker, Val Kilmer movies. Eh. Looks like a time. Red Rock West '93. Oh, jeez. Oh, shit. And that's heartbreak right there. I forgot what it was. I think $30,000 he lost in that, that game. This reminds me of a quote in another movie that I love. Maybe we'll watch it one day together. It's called Two for the Money. Funny story is actually my girlfriend in high school, her dad was a movie producer and he produced Two for the Money. It's with Al Pacino and Matthew McConaughey. I think most people would probably just brush it off as a shitty movie, but um, I, I think it's great. It's one of my favorite movies. It's about this guy, Matthew McConaughey, who's a former football player and he goes, and he's great at picking games, but like he gets injured or something like that and kind of falls off and finds himself at like the bottom of the barrel. On like a 1-800 line, one day he starts making picks on the 1-800 line. Al Pacino's this like big shot from New York uh, who runs a gambling line service, call-in service. Anyway, he goes out to New York. He becomes successful. He becomes unsuccessful. He has to choose between certain lifestyles. But anyway, it's really great. It's called Two for the Money. And in that, you know, like Al Pacino's a recovering gambling addict. And he said, you know, it's not the winning that people are addicted to it is the feeling of when they take you know when you lose everything and you figure out shit i'm still here i'm still alive i'm still a thing um and i just always thought that was really interesting and that makes a lot of sense because you know the people who i know who can't stop like me i'm a great gambler because i could stop as soon as i won something or like, you know, I bring a certain amount of money with me. If I lose it, it's what it is. It's not, I'm not playing with rent money, okay? And I don't get upset, but like, there are some people who are looking, they're looking for something, right? They're looking to lose. They're not looking to win because if they win, they put it all back up again and they keep going until finally they have nothing left. And it's almost like people are, 
addicted to that feeling of having nothing but still being alive and, you know, kind of proving that none of this really matters anyway. I don't know, that's my uh, interpretation of it, so. That's another good one. Yeah, so he's also it's funny because the dichotomy of this is yeah. is pretty cool. You know, he's a poker player, which is a lot of like math and psychology, and at the same time he's going to City Law University. So his life is kind of federated in that way. You like all these words I'm using, right? It's pretty cool. But I always thought that was interesting how they set that up, you know, because it's kind of like any good movie. It sets out like a very black and white path, right? He goes down the button up, uh, you know, law path, which is so, so different from poker. I mean, I guess there's some elements of it. He explains it a little bit later or, you know, he goes down uh, and follows his heart. It's pretty cool. Now they're in the judges game. Who's this guy? I know him from something else too. Is it Martin Landau? Yeah, Martin Landau. There's a lot of great people in this movie. You got Matt Damon, Edward Norton comes around, John Malkovich, John Turturro. I know him from Martin Landau, Famke Jansen. It's Petra. This guy, Michael Rispoli, I know as well. Anyone else? Yeah, Melina Kennecaritis. What was she was in like a, a show? Not CSI. Providence. Yeah, that was like your big show. Yeah, there's a bunch of people in this movie. It's one of my favorites. Even like the this kind of sport. Lenny Clark's in it. A lot of people. Yes, this guy Josh Pays is in it just randomly. Yeah, not that anyone is interested in what I think about poker because I haven't won jack shit, but another, so, you know, I mentioned patience as one of like the main things. It's also aggression, man. If you can learn how to be aggressive in general now, and that's like a lot of today's poker players. Like I've, I've played enough, especially on the East coast here to know that most people just go with aggression, you know, like you'll never be able to check through to, you know, a flop or, or check through a round of betting or anything like that. Um, people just come after you, whether they have something or not. But if you can kind of throttle your levels of aggression and always kind of mask what you have, but I don't know, ask, act aggressive when you're not supposed to and meek when you are supposed to and just make the right call. I mean, that's, that's what it's all about. And again, I, I don't, it might sound like I don't know what I'm talking about because... I'm still very much an amateur rec recreational player, but 
it's all about aggression, man. And that's what this this scene is really about. You know, everyone's trying to check through and and uh, you never know what the judge actually has, but he basically shows him like you have to be aggressive. You have to be the better, especially because the judge was in position. He was in the blind. He was the last to bet. So, so you know, when you're in position, it makes a lot of sense. Again, that's another thing that poker's all about. It's all about position, right? When people act, it almost doesn't... Uh, you know, one of my friends who's a great card player, he told me, you know, he doesn't... Sometimes you don't even play your cards. You play your position. Obviously, you don't want to get caught with your pants down, but... You always, you always got to remember that no one knows what you got. Hey, what's up, Pern? How you doing? Hanging out with my cats. Who I watch movies with. Pernie's here. Hey, bud. And yeah, so <laughs> this guy, has, this is another funny thing. This guy has a girlfriend and she's just so against him being a gambler. It's really funny. I just, it's just funny how they set all this up. It's a movie. It's great. It's so obvious. This girl, this girl, I don't know, Gretchen Mole. Seems like one of those 90, 90s girls. <laughs> But what? She was on. She was in 310 to Yuma. Okay, that's pretty. That was in 2007. She was in Boardwalk Empire, the show. Interesting. I don't really remember seeing her much. She pretty kind of looks like Marilyn Monroe or something. Right? I don't know. Now, you got to remember, this is after he loses, you know, what, $30,000 to uh, John Malkovich in the Russian basement. And I guess I know where she's coming from. You know, she's she kind of saw him at the bottom. It's like a recovering alcoholic. It's, it's like, it's like, yeah, being with an alcoholic and then they recover. And then they're like, no, man, I just went to the bar. I didn't really drink. I just, you know, told my friend what to order. It's, it's a slippery slope. But I will say this, you know, I don't like that people just lump together gambling with, like, other addictions like, you know, drugs or, um, you know, alcohol or, or what have you. Because I, re I really do think they're not... They're not the same thing, right? Uh, like I said, I, I think you probably... Okay, so gamblers, you say they have a system. That's a little, like, weird. Okay, when I say system, like, people who bring a lucky rabbit's foot, like, you know, to the roulette table, and they rub it three times every time before they put a chip down, that is not... <laughs> that's obviously a little bit different than what I'm talking about. Poker, it's extremely evident, but another game um, that is really evident in is craps, right? Um, again, it's all based on luck, but, uh, you know, past, like, dice control and things like that, there are statistics about what numbers come up the most, and you could kind of use the statistical model of craps and variance to understand, like, when you should be betting and what your strategy should be. I mean, blackjack is the same way. Um, but I think recent, I don't think you count cards anymore because they use multiple decks and things like that. But same, same, uh, same idea. It's, it's understanding when, when to attack, right? Um, 
And poker is just different because you're playing against other people. So usually with a game of chance, you're playing against the house. And, you know, you know the moniker, the house always wins. But uh, I don't know. I just don't like people lumping gambling in with all of the other addictions. I guess it's kind of like food, right? Like people could be addicted to food, but food's not bad. Um, you know, alcohol, I guess, could be the same way. Drugs, drugs are just bad, but um, I don't know. Something to think about. My favorite, here's my favorite character in the movie. His, his name is Worm. It's Edward Norton. This is great. Young Edward Norton. I hear he's a real asshole, though, right? Aren't those all the stories out in Hollywood that Edward Norton's, like, the biggest asshole ever? He definitely fucked up the Hulk, right? I th Maybe that's where I'm getting it from. He was supposed to be the Hulk because he was in, like, the first one, and then he got, uh, whatever, Mark Ruffalo, Morfalo. I'm not sure of his name, but Worm reminds me a, a lot of some of my friends that I had. Not that my friends aren't shitheads, just like, you know, it reminds me of me and my friends. Kind of wheeling and dealing, always looking for the edge. I love it. That's what I'm talking about. But it'll explain, man. They were they were kind of shitheads, but they were very loyal to one another. Gives them the toothpick. I love that. That's true, man. You know, I've had, I've had a lot of friends in my life, people, or, you know, maybe I've been that friend, people might say that they're not the best person on the outside, but loyalty is, is everything. That's why it doesn't matter what people think about you or your friends, just do you, baby boo. Really deep stuff, right? You gotta, you forgive me a little bit, I got on a flight today at like 5.30 in the morning, which meant I have to be up at 3, so I'm like hanging by a thread, but this is like an idea that I've had for such a long time, and instead of just wondering if it's gonna work or not, I was like, I'm doing it today, I'm just gonna take the couple hours out of my day, and as soon as I'm done with this, I'm gonna pass out. I'm afraid that I'm gonna fall asleep while I'm talking. I mean, because this is obviously so entertaining. I'm so entertaining. You're not falling asleep, but I might. Oh, no. Oh, this is cool, too. This is always the tattoo I've wanted, but everyone talks me out of it because I'm easily influenced. The ace up his sleeve. I always thought that would be super cool. <laughs> I don't have any tattoos. Isn't that... F I, I think that's kind of crazy. I don't know if you knew that about me. I don't have any tattoos. Even after all the years of uh, traveling on the road, I was around a lot of people who could give me tattoos for free and stuff like that, and I, I just never... 
I just never could take the dive. I, I can't. It's way too permanent, man. My, I change my mind on things on a daily basis, and uh, I couldn't imagine, you know, being stuck with something on my body for the rest of my life. That, not saying that I judge people. I'm all for it. I wish. I wish that I was something meant that much to me that I was like, fuck it. I don't care if it's on the body, my body for the rest of my life. But uh, I know I wouldn't be that way. Even if it was like my mom's name or something, man, I, I, I would totally regret that sooner or later. I don't know what my problem is, but I think it's more of a me thing than a you thing. I've always loved uh, traditional Japanese art, like, you know, every other white guy in the world. Um, I've always wanted to get stuff like that on me. I think that shit looks really cool. My buddy uh, that I used to play in a band with has a whole Bushido suit. So he's like, he's got like black waves with inverse shading in him. He's got like Hanya masks and dragons and fish and all sorts of crazy shit. It looks awesome. I, uh, yeah, but since, you know, I'm also... I also really like the Sailor Jerry style, so I'd, I'd probably look like a goddamn wreck if I got tattoos, because I have one arm with, like, Super Mario Brothers and one leg with, like, Japanese shit, and this, you know, so it's probably for the best. Whoa. Hey, boys. Hey, now. The cats are fighting. Oh, I gotta take this. Hold on. I now have three cats. Um, well, me and my girlfriend have three cats. I had one. His name is Pernie Williams, uh, named after Bernie Williams. She brought one. His name is Enzo. And together, well, not together, but she really... Whoa! Whoa, boys. Well, together we got uh, Reggie Katzen, who's named after Reggie Jackson, the famous Yankee. We missed a good line there because I was talking over it, but he was talking about, uh, and there's a lot of them in this movie, but uh, he says, like, you know, you know that feeling, you got a fork, you got a knife, you're all set to eat, but you just need a good steak. It's basically like a really cool way of asking him for money. I think that's why poker's cool too, is because it has its own language. You know, like when you start talking about, you know, positions and, you know, actions and being on the button and check raising and, you know, uh, any checking through or whatever you start talking about when it comes to poker. I think it's cool because it's its own proprietary language and people are like, oh shit, you must know what you're talking about if you're talking about check raising in the blind with, uh, you know, short stack. Do you guys hear this? This is some like MMA shit going on right now. I love watching the cats fight. I'm not getting involved. They'll figure it out themselves. They always do. And this is like, all right, so I also like to kind of read storylines and the music in this is pretty cool too. Uh, we should, but anyway, so you hear that music is like the, one of the major decision points. It's like he knows his girlfriend doesn't want him to play poker, but this guy's obviously fucking miserable driving a truck, you know, and delivering stuff for a living and un until he, you know, graduates from law school, which he really doesn't want to do. And so he stomps his foot on the brake. There's gonna probably be some monologue here, right? Doesn't he? He's gotta make the decision. What am I gonna do here? Here you go. King said, few players recall big pots they have won, strange as it seems. 
but every player can remember with remarkable accuracy the outstanding tough beats of his career. This is true. I don't necessarily remember every time that I've won. Yeah, I, you know, the tournaments that I've won or placed well in, I cannot tell you what I won with, like a couple hands maybe that I got lucky with, I can remember, but I always remember what I got beat with. I mean, again, uh, I'll, I'm going to be speaking a little bit uh, Mandarin to some of you, but I basically had what I had aces no i had ace king which is a really good hand starting out in texas hold'em i was heads up with some guy um flop comes i basically have a straight draw uh you know turn the river run out i make my straight we were, we were betting back and forth the whole time nothing crazy but you know he was keeping i was keeping him in he was keeping me in there's two queens on the board i have the ace king and there's also a jack and a 10 right because yeah ace yeah, ace, uh, you know, 10 to ace. 10, jack, queen, king, ace. Yeah. So I have my straight. I'm like, oh, this guy's totally screwed. There's no flush on the board. I guess there could be a full house if he has, like, queen, king. But I'm not putting him on any of that because I feel like he would have bet. Anyway, it comes down to I flip it over. And, you know, I'm so uh, confident that, you know, I have him beat with this ace high straight. And he had four queens. Pocket queens, two on the board, and I got screwed. But I remember that vividly, right? I can't tell you in such detail the hands that I've won. I always think of this movie too when I'm playing. He talks about not starting with jacks are better. Now, this is something I've never done. I've never tried to cheat at poker. I'm sure there's some people that have to. Right? I mean, with so much money, uh, maybe people try to get a glimpse of your cards, or maybe they work together and they signal each other. I know, I could see people doing that shit, right? Anytime that there's money involved, people will cheat. And you see it in all sports. Like, that's what I, all sports, dude, some of it just is so predictable what's going to happen that there's no way it can't be rigged. Like, whether it's the refs or whether it's the players, whether it's everyone involved, just to kind of. You know, and there's so much money riding on these games that you gotta think people are just fucking controlling it in the background. That's like the conspiracy theorist in me. And we'll do another movie where I could talk about more of my conspiracy theories. Now, see, I was gonna do... Uh, the first movie I was gonna watch with you was Eyes Wide Shut or The Shining. But I figured... I think those are both Kubrick movies. And that could get... I think I need more energy to do that. I can totally do rounders because I love this movie. I like to have this movie on in the background while I'm working. That's what I'm doing right now. I'm working. I'm talking to you. I'm watching rounders. It's kind of what I do every day. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, the Kubrick movies are a little bit intense. A lot of subtext. And I don't know if some of it's subtext that people would get or just, you know, me filling in the blanks where I shouldn't be, but either way, it's uh, yeah, a little bit too much after getting up at 3 o'clock in the morning today. Oh, beautiful. Oh, man. Asshole, they Could you imagine, again, like, I always look at this, could you imagine just hustling for a living? It looks like it's so much fun, but I'm sure it sucks. 
probably do it when you're young. I'm not a young man anymore. I'm an old man now. I guess you're only as old as you act. I was thinking about that too. I was talking to my buddy. Um, you know, he used to tour a lot, and I feel like there's a lot of. There are a lot of. Oh shit, the cats are back. Hold on, I gotta get them fighting. Come on. They're not biting on it. All right, but what, uh, what I was saying is that, you know, uh, touring, I think it's you know, kind of a wheeling and dealing type of lifestyle as a musician. And uh, there are some people that I know that still do it. I couldn't, um, I don't know if I'm just like a, a bitch now or what, but I just couldn't imagine doing it, you know, at least not the way that we used to. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, like sleeping in a van, sleeping in Walmart parking lots and uh, asking people if I could stay in their base. Like, just do you have to friggin' scrounge and scrape? And, you know, I really think that the people who are into that love that type of life. I did see uh, someone that I know. He's, he's actually he's very, um, he's very successful in the music business. So this makes a lot of sense. Maybe it's the mentality that you have to have. But basically, he was talking about. So he's telling this story, right? So there are, so this band is playing a show on Christmas Eve and it's snowing wherever they're going and their van breaks down. So they have to take their instruments and they have to walk all the way to the venue in the snow, right? And as they're walking to the venue in the snow, they come across this house with, you know, they see the lights on. So they, they look in the window and it's a guy and his family and they're sitting at the, the dinner table. There's, you know, there's a... Uh, like a turkey on the table there's all sorts of stuff it looks warm inside there's kids running around opening presents and everyone's laughing and having a great time and you know the uh the band members look to each other and he goes how do people live like that because yeah, i don't know and they keep walking on to their show and i thought that that was uh that's a really good that's a really good story to highlight what type of mentality you need in order to make it in that type of industry, right? Anything where you're entertaining or you kind of have to dance for your food. It, again, even being like a, a professional gambler, which these, these, these guys basically are. Um, you kind of have to think differently than everyone else. You can't, like security and consistency and reliability are not things that you can rank high on your life index. You know, you have to have, you have to have some other stuff higher up there and again this is a pivotal moment in the movie where he lies to his girlfriend oh oh shit but i think it's kind of fucked up too because she like prods and prize or oh, whatever they live together i'm just being being a jerk again i see i see both i see both way and that's why you know spoiler alert they don't end up together but that's really not a you know again he values other things higher in his life index than, you know, getting married, having a family, you know, having a stable job. It's, it's, you know, it's really interesting. Again, same thing with tattoos. I'm not knocking that. I don't think that that is, um, I don't think that that's like a wrong way. And I don't think any of the, like what I say is, I don't think there is a right or a wrong. I mean, I, 
I have an undergrad in ethics and stuff. And yeah, there's no like, there's no uh, single source of truth when it comes to morality. But I just think it's different. And, and that's how you can kind of understand what, what your path should be. Uh, if you are the kind of person that likes to know where their next meal is coming from, then you probably shouldn't, you know, be in a high risk occupation or, or choose to do that with your life. But like, you know, what I've always valued, or at least the way I saw it is, uh, when it, when it came to music is the reason why it was all worth it is because I felt like I was really creating something and leaving a legacy behind. It was always about the creation of something. I always used to say like, uh, leaving my graffiti on the wall of life and, you know, when you're in one of these professions or when you're doing something like this, where you're really putting yourself out on the line and you're creating things and you have a voice or whatnot, I mean, you know, your contribution is undeniable. Obviously, people can come back and tell us, say the same thing when it comes to kids. So many people have said, you know, kids are the best thing that I've had in my life. I mean, they are your legacy. Your family is your legacy. And I completely agree with that. You know what I'm worried about? I, see, I don't have kids. I don't necessarily have like my own family. I, you know, I have my, my parents. I'm lucky enough to have them and grandparents. And I love my family. Um, but I don't have like, you know, my own family as in kids and a wife and stuff. And I'm always just scared of fucking it all up. <laughs> or I said to some, what if you have a kid and it's a shithead? Like you can't control Like people come out the way they are. What if you have someone and they fucking hate you or they're just like a, despicable person that you have to love them anyway and then you're screwed so i don't know i'm kind of uh i'm still a little bit nervous about that i'd rather bet on myself than some unknown you know unknown zygote that's running around my uh <laughs> being developed in my body right now. yeah I'm not, I'm not into that not not yet at least but that that's funny you know like again a lot of people see their family as their legacy i'm i always seen like some type of something that I would create myself as my legacy. Again, I'm not, maybe it's a career. I think career people have that same thought, right? I think that people who strive to be CEOs or, you know, top lawyers or, or lawyers uh, or, you know, to, to kind of move up the ladder, like that's their stand. That's what they're creating. They create this legacy at a company or like these accomplishments of, you know, being the best this or that. So I can, I can understand that, you know, maybe I'm not a, I'm not so much understand like the whole, you know, leaving my legacy behind because of my interpersonal relationships. But again, neither is wrong or right. I just think it's different, but this definitely, this movie totally highlights that because he has several options to kind of go the way of light. And he actually, you know, after he loses that money, he does, he's like, feels like he got knocked down a peg and he's got to kind of clean up his act but your true nature shines through sooner or later I love all the Russian like there's this whole undertone of the Russian mob being involved in all the poker establishments you know meanwhile what this is 1998 so 20 years later uh, you know 
online gambling is legal in the state of New Jersey, at least. You know, this is it's funny because this is a very outdated movie. So I love uh, it, they're going to go to the Taj soon. I, that's one of my favorite. And the Taj isn't even around. Well, I'm talking about the Taj. Um, Trump's Taj Mahal, <laughs> President Donald Trump's Taj Mahal that used to be in Atlantic City, which is now the Hard Rock. Um, that used to be the, I guess that used to be the poker mecca of Atlantic City. I wouldn't know because, you know, in 1998, I was still a little baby boy. I wasn't playing no poker back then. But, I, you know, I should, I think that it's a great skill. Uh, it's like chess, basically. Chess with cards, again, with more psychology in it. It's a little bit more freewheeling. I think chess is a great thing. Again, anytime that you could, that's what I would do if I had kids. I would make them little mind ninjas. You know, I always, I always talk about um, like the 300. You remember that movie, the 300 with, this uh, is Sparta. I don't know why I said it like Spartacus, but yeah, with uh, Gerard Butler and like the crazy, I think it's that uh, graphic novelist. I forgot his name, Frank something or other. Anyway, great movie, 300. And in that movie, they send children out into the wilderness and like when they're very young and they can't come back until they have like the pelt of an animal that they killed. I, I, I don't know if I'd go that far with my children, but I would totally be like Asian tiger mom. You know, I would have my kids, you know, training in gymnastics and, you know, coming home and, you know, being chess champions and stuff like that. I mean, you know, it sucks while you're in it. And I know like there's this whole American... Uh, sentiment that like you need to let your kids have their childhood and to like express themselves but I don't know I don't, I don't feel that way I, I think that kids and uh, would be more grateful as adults if you gave them skills because I've I found myself having to kind of backtrack and to like fill in the holes of things I didn't learn or things I didn't do as an adult which is so much harder because I don't know what it is, but you just don't have as much focus. You have other shit to do. Like, you have other things tugging at you. Like, you have to pay for yourself. Um, you have relationships with people. You just have, like, your time and your attention is so much more fragmented than when you're a kid. You can sit in a room and learn violin for 12 hours. There's nothing else going on. You have no other responsibilities. You know, and you could do so much more. I, I really am a big proponent of just, uh, you know, training children. One moment. Bars, 90s bar scene it's great so much different and you know what I always notice with these movies no one has a cell phone like that's just not around it's kind of crazy I know Why, why does it still seem like gambling to you? 
I mean, why do you think the same five guys make it to the final table of the World Series of Poker every single year? What are they, That's right. guys in Las Vegas? It's a skill game, Joe. Right. It's the same way now too. Like the same guys are always winning, and obviously there's a lot of variance. There is luck involved, you know, because there's always like some 60-year-old software programmer that finally, like, you know, hits it and makes it to the World Series of Poker. But it's definitely a job that you can grind out, and if you ride the wave of variance, you can really. I, I am wholly convinced that that you can make it work. I, and maybe it's just because, you know, it really kind of resonated with me when I realized that someone that I knew from a, being a kid was actually a professional poker player. It, it always happens that way. You know, wh when you can kind of put a, a face to a dream, uh, and like it's the same way for music, right? Because like when uh, I'm trying to think who got so there was this band My Getaway and they got like they started talking to Drive Through Records and they got on like a sampler for Drive Through Records and then it became more realistic that that was an option like to be a musician same thing with Cute Is What We Aim For like when they got discovered and they got big it was like wow well this is possible because someone that I know and that I'm connected to in the six degrees of separation they could do it but like it's so that happened with poker as well like when I realized that Sean, you know, he was just, he's, he's awesome because he's been giving me a lot of pointers on the side. Like he could charge for all that shit. I mean, he could be like a poker coach and make a lot of money. And that's what I, that's what I really like about him too. Is he's like one of those guys that actually does what he does. He's not like a, like a, an advice monger. Like, you know that like, there's a lot of people online where I'm not sure if they actually do what they do or they just give out advice all the time. Um, I, I don't know that that may or may not make sense to you, but it's even more exacerbated in like the age of Instagram influencers and things like that. It's like, I don't know. I think there's definitely two sex, sex of people. I think that there, and when I say sex, I mean, S E C T S sex. <laughs> there are people who do stuff and are interesting because they do what they do so exceptionally well that people want to know how they can follow in their footsteps. That's section number one. Section number two are people who realize that people are interested in something and give advice despite having really accomplished anything. And I probably am more in like the section two of that, but you know, I've always strived to be a section one person because you know, that's where I think that's really where success is. And when you just do what you do so undeniably well that people come to you. But, you know, here's the issue that I've... And I was thinking about this earlier today. Like, what happens first, the chicken or the egg? Are people interesting because... Or are people interesting and popular because of their content and because they release it on such a regular... You know, in such a regular interval, like they, they post every day about working out, right? Or are they popular... Or do they post every day because they have an audience that is there to consume that content, right? Like, if there was no one out there listening, what would people be doing? Like, if Instagram didn't exist, YouTube didn't exist, would all these people who you see working out or doing X, Y, and Z, would they still be, would they still be doing what they're doing? And I think the answer to that is no. Uh, hold, please.
was a nifty trip the other night. <laughs> it's wonderful. Maranacci and the DA were ready to cut cards for your services. <laughs> of course, it was an altogether different trick that the Supreme had you both today at your first meeting. Well, I figure I owe you an explanation. Oh, but to me, I'm sure there's a good reason you left. Just have to work harder, prepare, and smooth things out with the others. Right. Okay. Well, thanks. Stay. Jamie, yeah. another glass, sure. darling. What are you drinking? Gin, always gin. Thanks, dear. I know a magician doesn't divulge his secrets. But <laughs> I'm no magician. Well, if it wasn't magic, how did you know what everyone held? That's a combination of things. Eh? This is cool. Um, I was watching when the cards came out. That's. That's just an old habit with me, like breathing. This is where I got a lot of my first poker advice. I watched the cards also, but I watched the players reacting to the cards. That's how I knew the DA made his two pair, and, and yeah, Judge Kaplan missed the flush. Yeah. Huh. I was watching their eyes when they checked their river cards. And their faces tell you everything. You watch the man. I, I never knew he had to calculate so much at cards. Right here. I think this is it. That's nines are better wired. Three high cards to a flush. If it's good enough to call, you gotta be in there raising, alright? I mean tight, but aggressive. And I do mean aggressive. That's your style, Professor. I mean you gotta you gotta think of it as a war. <laughs> Tag. That's tight tight aggressive player, right? There's uh it's funny, there's these different acronyms for uh for poker players, there's tags, which he just explained. It's the best way to be. You're tight but aggressive. You just play with premium hands, in position. And when you are in the pot, you are in the pot and you're just gunning for it, right? Um, and you're going to make people pay whether they have something or not. Uh, there are nits, which are really tight people that are too passive, right? So you don't play any hand. And this, I, I think I'm more of a nit than a tag, unfortunately. But, um, I don't really play a lot of hands. I'm happy to just sit at the poker table for the afternoon. And, you know, when I do have a good hand, I can be talked out of it very easily, right? You know, if I have like aces and then the board comes out and it's like, you know, your flop comes out, it's like 10, 3, 5 of hearts. I could totally fold aces because there's a flush draw. Someone could have, you know, could be playing 10, 5, 10, 3. They could have a smaller pair. You know, if someone bets at that pot, it's going to be, for me, I'll probably call it. But uh, I'd like to be more aggressive and reckless when it comes to playing poker. But I'm, I'm just not there yet. There's also, like, loose aggressive people who are just playing every, um, you know, playing every pot. Um, you know, you don't really. And, you know, that's a lot of today's poker players are lag because... They could be playing like nine seven offsuit out of position, and they're just raising it. And the benefit to that is that you don't know what a person really ever has. And I've gotten sucked in by those people so much because, you know, someone plays, and I, you know, I see they win a hand, they go to a showdown, they flip over like ten five offsuit, and you're like, God damn, they had nothing, and they got lucky, you know. So, you know, when that person raises or something, I don't have respect for them, and then they wind up actually having a premium hand. They uh, punch me in the mouth, but you know, 
Uh, I, yeah, there's a lot of loose aggressive players nowadays. Um, then there's also like calling stations who just call anything. They're always on a draw. You know, they're kind of a little bit too optimistic. Jewish and Russian overtones, undertones in this movie everywhere. It's funny because that right there, he basically just gave Matt Damon permission to be himself and, you know, do what he wants to do. And we saw, you know, I was talking about obviously Worms in Trouble, but that's not, it's not very, uh, that's not a surprise. This is, and see, at the same time that, again, spoiler alert, his girlfriend walks out on him, but he, uh, at the same, oh, get off my computer, bro. You're fucking everything up. Dude, get off my computer. Buddy, I love you too, but you got to get off my computer. You're messing everything up. Really? Okay, fine. Whatever. Um, sorry, I got, whoa. Buddy, can you please? Oh, God. Oh, my God. Mike, yeah, at the same time that he got permission to do what he wants to do, his girlfriend walked out on him. Goddamn Mike McDermott. Oh, come on, Mike. Shit's hard. It's funny because it's almost like every, every decision that you have to make in life is kind of a... Uh, Summarized in this movie, or at least every decision that I feel like I've had to make. Love it. <laughs> That's great. That's good. <laughs> in the poker game of life, women are the rake. The rake is what the house, like the money that the house takes, no matter what. They always get it, so it makes sense. I think this is my favorite part of the movie. Right here. Rolled up aces over kings. Yeah, check raising stupid tourists and taking huge pots off them. Yeah. Stacks and towers of checks I can't even see over. Playing all night. High limit, hold them in the Taj, where the sand turns to gold. Fuck it, let's go. <laughs> Don't tease me. That's <laughs> awesome. They call chips checks. I, I haven't gotten that yet. I think I would, but... Yeah, it's so funny, like this, that's so different. There's another, ta and so they're showing a picture of the Taj Mahal on the movie right now, if you're following along. Wait, hold on. Doyle Bronson, Johnny Chan, Phil Hellman. The legends consider it their office. Every couple of days, a new millionaire shows up wanting to beat a world champion. Usually they go home with nothing but a story. 
Down here, the millionaires are scarce or they're playing craps. But there's still plenty of money for the taking. In fact, on the weekends, you can't get a game in the city because all the New York lounges are taking care of the tourists here. Huh. It's funny. No millionaires in Atlantic City. But, uh, yeah, so they were showing the Taj Mahal, and it's just so funny because it looks so much different now. It's, like I said, it's the hard rock. And, uh, they, like, built a whole new tower. I, d I didn't even realize that. Hard Rock's super nice. If you have a chance to go, Hard Rock, sponsor me, yo! I would love if the podcast was uh, sponsored by Hard Rock Live, or Hard Rock Live, Hard Rock Atlantic City. I sound like a six-year-old man. You go down to the Hard Rock Cafe Casino? <laughs> That's great. Yeah, man. I've recently, so there's a couple, di uh, there's, not that there's two types of poker that you can play, there's a million types, right? So I play Hold'em, and, uh, I've been more of a tournament player most of my uh, my budding amateur career, but uh, I've just recently gotten into cash games. The only difference is that cash games, let's like you pay with like two, you know, you get two hundred dollars worth of chips, uh, chips, <laughs> two hundred dollars worth of chips. You go to a table, and you just bet the chips for their value, right? Five dollars, one two, no limit, whatever it is. In a tournament you buy in for a certain amount of chips and you're in for as long as you have those or you know until uh until the best man woman whatever wins but uh basically i i find tournaments to be a little bit easier on me because i have a set amount of money and i can't get out of control right so you buy in for a hundred dollars in a tournament you get thirty thousand chips you could sit there for 12 hours maybe you don't win but at the end of the day, you only spend $100. Uh, you know, with cash games, maybe you bust out for 100 like shit. Like, maybe on you get a great hand and you go out on the... You know, you have to go out on that hand because you lose. You get unlucky. Anyway, and you could just buy in for another 100 and then you fuck up again. You buy in for another... It's a deep, dark road. So again, know thyself if you're ever going to do any type of gambling, whether it's roulette, craps... Uh, poker, anything, right? You just kind of got to set yourself up for success so that you don't uh, get into trouble. It's funny because uh, I never ran into these tourists. I guess I got to go on the weekend to Atlantic City. I'm always there like Sunday through Thursday because uh, that's when they give shit away for free. Atlantic City gets a bad rap. It's a pretty fun place. It's just kind of shitty around it, you know, and so I get that. It's not very uh, not very nice to go through. I do honestly think that Atlantic City is going to be... It's already got a boon from the sports gambling. If New Jersey goes through and legalizes marijuana, like I believe they will and should, then it will definitely be... I think that'll be a boon to Atlantic City as well. It I could be like the, uh, if they do it correctly, it should be an East Coast Las Vegas, like it always should have been. It's still, still on the up and up though, to be honest with you. You know, there's like empty hotels. The, the Trump Plaza, which was like right in the middle of the boardwalk, it's boarded up. It looks like people just left dinner and had to get out of the hotel. It's kind of weird, like... It's shit like that. People don't think about that. That completely tarnishes the experience for someone like walking from one end of the boardwalk to another to see like a closed down casino. Like just, you know, paint over it. Like just make it nice. I don't know. Do something. Don't just leave it like open. Like there's a menu on the wall from 1989. It's freaking crazy. Look, man. I went to Roman and Maurice. I told you, man. You didn't have to do 
Uh oh. See, China. I I've realized that noodle bars are a big thing in Atlantic City too. I don't know what that's all about. I mean, I could go into a deep dark place with that, but in every casino there's like a noodle bar, and I love. Don't get me wrong, I friggin' love it. But I was uh, <laughs> I was there with my girlfriend. I don't know, like over the past uh, over Thanksgiving Day, uh, Thanksgiving week, and you know you're looking for places to eat. I couldn't find a Mexican place to save my life. We go to the same Mexican place every single time and, you know, we like to have a little variety in our life. But I could go to a different noodle place every day of the week. Every casino has a noodle bar. And it's not like, you know, one type of noodle. It's like noodles of the world. That's actually the name of my favorite one at the Borgata, noodles of the world. But, um, yeah, noodle bars galore. There's a lot of Italian restaurants, too, because, you know, New Jersey's the... Guido capital of America. I could say that because I'm one. Isn't that how that works? Right, Enzo? I can say it because I am one. But, uh, yeah, so many noodle bars. It's crazy. Uh-oh. And now we're back to real life. And, you know, the uh, separation is happening more and more. He shows up late, does law school thing, his mock trial. Yeah, you can just see it's over. It's all disintegrating. It's funny because it only happens in the matter of what, this movie's two hours, but that kind of is how it happens with life. Like you could have the best intention and, the, you know, that's why you can't blame people. You could have the best intentions to do, I don't know, like to have a, a family and to, you know, have kids and raise them right and stuff like that. But if that's not in your blood... Sooner, it's not fucking up because <laughs> sooner or later, if it's not in your nature, that's going to shine through. And for certain people, it does on different, it's a spectrum, right? Some people just are very unhappy, keep it to themselves, and are kind of a shit for their whole life. And if you live in Florida, you wind up doing something even crazier because Florida people are weird and crazy, right? <laughs> but you, uh, it always shows. Like, if you're not a person who's a nine to five person, you could actually kick a lot of ass. But as time goes on, that's going to wear on you, man. And again, I say this by, um, from experience, being on both sides, I don't know what my true nature is, unfortunately, but you know, I know when I'm not in, I know when it doesn't feel right. How about that? I know that I've done things. I'm like, I'm not supposed to be here and it doesn't matter how lucrative. No, no, I won't say that because the situation could be very lucrative, but no, you know, it doesn't matter how lucrative it is. If it's really not in your nature, you will find a way to fuck it up. Guaranteed. Even if you don't want to. You will subconsciously sabotage yourself. And that's kind of what's happening to Mike McDermott here. I mean, you know, he's still fighting his own life. Like, his life is obviously supposed to go in a certain direction. He's still, like, chasing after this girl. He's trying to show up to law school, trying to do it all, and... Yeah, there you go. And this movie's a little cheesy with all like the poker me life metaphors. Maybe that's why I really like it. They kind of make it like Sesame Street for you. You know, his girlfriend's telling him, fold your hand when it's not good because that's what you told me. And you're a poker player and you can understand that, can't you? It's definitely cheesy, but I love it. It's great. Shot very well, too. I don't know the cinematographer, but... I must say. I mean, I'd say good luck, but I know 
Oh, oh, she doesn't believe it. That's funny. I never picked up on that part of the movie. She, you know, basically told her, why do you think the same people are at the World Series of Poker? Blah, blah, blah. It's not because of luck. And then she just says, I'd say good luck, but it's not about that. It's like, oh, you're telling me I can't. Yeah, they're they're re-showing like a uh, a replay from like the 1980-something World Series of Poker. Johnny Chan is a famous poker player. He was like the he was a celebrity before. It was probably cool to be a poker celebrity. You know, I don't know if it's cool to be a poker celebrity. Is it? Like, I think maybe for a while it was, but I don't think that poker's cool. I think that you kind of can lump poker players in the same. Uh, and that this is, again, this is just from my, now I personally think it's cool, but I'm saying from the outside, it's not like DJs, you know, like if you're a DJ, like, you know, women want you, men want to be you, that type of thing. I don't think people see poker players as like a, like a cool thing. Uh, you know, I think again, they're synonymous probably with like, you know, living in your mom's basement and playing a lot of cool call of duty. I think that's what people think when they think poker players, like big fat guys who just sit around all day, which is, uh. You know, I, I think it's far from the truth, right? There's all there's all different kinds. It's a spectrum. Hold, please. Petra. And it's funny, this girl, so his girlfriend was blonde. This girlfriend is, this girlfriend, this girl's dark. She's about, again, spoiler alert, she's about to come on to him. It's kind of like they've had a thing going on before. I've always wondered what they were trying to say with this subplot, right? Because obviously Petra is into Mike, but Mike doesn't like her. So like... Is this to prove that now he's not distracted? But why was he distracted by the other girl? Like, like what is it? He doesn't mix business with pleasure. Like, he sees those two parts of his life very separate. Like you would think, man, he's just, he should bite at this. I, I don't know. There's something to read into with this scene, but it's so swift that I usually forget it. I also like how they use music in movies to kind of 
give you an emotional response or tell you how you should feel or what's going on. Like this little over, like the Star Wars is the best uh, example of that in my mind. You know, they kind of have different interludes and, you know, they have a theme song for Darth Vader, a, a theme song for the rebels and like the light side of the force and, and whatnot. They do the same thing here. Like this is ominous. Whereas you go, oh, he's going to find worm. He's in trouble, right? But the same, you'll hear the same overture uh, plays when he goes back to the um, the poker room to take on John Malkovich, Teddy KGB uh, in the last scene. So it's funny because well, I was talking about before, like I'm, you know, people who have these type or do these types of things or have these types of lives, like they have to be certain people, and this scene is really kind of makes sense. Like you can tell that. Worm is just going to run his whole life. Foreshadowing again what's going to happen later, but again, Mike knows it, you know? Even though he's super loyal, like, Worm just doesn't know how to stick. It's really interesting. And there are people like that. There's just people who don't. And it's not bad. Like, and that, that's what's really shitty about society. I think we've gotten a lot better about it. And, you know, it's actually the economy has gotten really good too with gig economy, with Uber and all these like uh, jobs that you could come in and out of. It actually gives people who aren't, who don't buy into the whole, you know, two and a half kids and buy a house and do this and that. It gives them an option. But um, some people just aren't like that. And, and I feel like for the longest time they've been discriminated against because they don't, um, they don't adhere to society's norms. I sound like such a weirdo. But it's true. I mean, it's like, oh, well, you're bad because you can't focus. But that's not true. Like, maybe they just have other specialties that you don't even understand. I think that's come out a lot recently, too, because of the technological revolution. A lot of those people who weren't good at maybe reading or, uh, you know, school in a very generalized sort of way are really good at programming, right? Like a lot of dyslexic people are really good at programming. A lot of autistic people are good at programming. And so they've found like, and you don't have to work within the confines of an institution to be a good programmer or software developer or something like that. So those people have actually, you know, they've thrived. Like you don't have to have crazy social skills. A lot of life is about social skills and being able to charm your way up the ladder and stuff. And people who didn't have them were intrinsically, you know, at a disadvantage, but it's really cool to see that there's so many different ways to get forward now, you know, cause a lot of people are like worm. Like sometimes I feel like worm myself. Like I don't No, I don't feel like worm. I'm not worm. I'm definitely more Mike McDermott, but, um, I can sympathize with the worms of the world and I'm actually attracted to the worms of the world. Not in like a, a weird sexual way, but I, I'm drawn to them because those people seem so free. They don't, give a shit about what people think they're they're a little bit it's a it comes across as self-serving but at the same time it's just like doing whatever the fuck you want to do don't you kind of envy those people the people who are just like they don't have any sense of self-responsibility you could look in one way i look down because there's a very there's a side of me that's very regimented disciplined and i find a lot of joy in that getting up doing push-ups going to the gym every day you know doing all those things but uh there's also a side of me that wishes like sometimes I could just chill the fuck out. But again, that's my nature. That's why like, I feel like Mike and Worm, if this was like Fight Club, <laughs> you know, if this was Fight Club, you know, they'd be the same person, right? 
because you kind of need both of those things in life. You need the fuck it sometimes, but you also need the guy who's going to keep you on task and, you know, moving ahead when the time comes. You can't have too much fuck it and you can't be tied up all the time either. Yeah. This was where the, I, I really personally believe this is where the movie drags a little bit right here. I mean, I guess it sets some context, right? They go and ask grandma, who I don't know how this guy got grandma. I'm, I'm confusing him with the, the New York Knicks player, but they go ask him for forgiveness. Then worm opens his mouth and gets him into more trouble. And then comes the part of the movie that I love. I love, uh, like, training scenes or like when they cut together a lot of time right like when someone's training for the olympics and then there's just like it's like the rocky montage right there's like a song in the background you see him punching meat you see him running up the steps you see him doing jump ropes and you know and in the span of like a 30 second song you see um you know he gets jacked and he's ready to fight in the ring like the same thing's gonna happen here they're gonna go on like this crazy bender over 72 hours um you know it's pretty cool. That's probably the, it's the favorite part. My favorite part of this movie, besides the Atlantic City. Oh, dude, he just, oh, you hit the dog. I don't remember that. That's, that sucks. But uh, yeah, it's my favorite part of the movie except for the Atlantic City scene. This isn't the money store, okay? We're not negotiating here. I tell you how it works. All right, all right. Well, then I'm asking. So you looking for a little grace, Lester? Huh? Some charity? You know what, Grandma? I need your fucking charity like I need... Oh, my... Hey, shut up. Would you okay. shut the fuck oh, it's up? It's too late for him to shut up. Let's go fucking... Hey, 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 no, no, listen, listen, listen. listen. Oh, he's man. Good he's good for it, all right? He's good for it, Mike. If you think he's good for it, it's on you, too. Then it's on me, too. Fifteen large... There's that overture in the background, like, uh-oh... You're fucked. Man. It's an important lesson, folks. Sometimes you just gotta shut the fuck up. Yeah, when he says 350, it means $3,500, I believe. $3,060, those are blinds. It's a lot. $30, $60 blinds. That's another thing. They're talking about high stakes. I mean, when I play, I'm playing like one, two, no limit. That's $1, $2 blinds. So you don't, you know, the cheapest that you play is $2. Obviously, people can raise it to whatever they have. But generally, people have like $200 behind at any time. It's not, not crazy. These guys are friggin' going for it. But you know what? I've always thought about this. Unless you're facing premium competition, once you go to higher stakes, like in tournaments, that's where it gets sticky. Because in tournaments, if you're buying in for like $5,000, you're also going to be playing $5,000 players. If you are playing cash games like they are, 
at like cigar shops and things like that, you're just playing against people who are playing for fun, really don't give a shit, and uh, and yeah, you could probably get away with some stuff. I don't know though. They make it look easy, but I think it's harder to play against people who don't know what the fuck they're doing. You ever play like Madden and? You know, against the computer, you could kick some ass, like in franchise mode, or, you know, against people who know how to play, you know how to play them, but people who don't know what they're doing, it's really tough to, you know, they just button mash and then wind up throwing 18 interceptions on you. I, I know that always doesn't play out, but variance is, a, variance is a bitch, I'm telling you. Look it up. In statistics, there's obviously trends and things like that, but... Unless you're playing over a long period of time, variance wins the day most of the time. That's why you got to think of everything as a long game. Like everything in life is a long game. There's going to be ups and downs, but at the end of the day, like that's the variance, right? Like the economy, variance, right? There's terrible years. We're in a good time, but like the good never lasts, the bad never lasts. That's something my dad taught me, right? Like the good days. Everyone thinks that when the good times are here, they are never going to end and people spend, spend, spend. They don't save. They're always, you know, just like live it up while you can. And when the down days are here, everyone's like doom and gloom. The world's over, you know, save every penny. You got to be always somewhere right in between because variance will come and go. And if you just have, if you hold your position and you play like GTO in life, then you, you could come out as much of a winner as you can, right? Instead, if you follow like the swings of life or the variance of life. Variance is something that I've been studying a lot lately. I actually have... um. Another thing that I've been meaning to do, which I will do this week, because this is like the week of getting shit done. I never thought I would sit down and do this, but um, yeah, I'm just going to... So the other thing that I'm just going to sit down and do is I have this blog post that I want to write about variants and craps. And I, <laughs> I know it's all coming back to like gambling, but it's just funny because I, I enjoy numbers. I enjoy being creative. And I believe when it comes to games of chance, that's where it all comes together. And I love that they're metaphors for life. Like poker's a metaphor for life. Like, you know, craps very much is a metaphor for life as well. And business, you know, I have my thoughts on that. So I love the lessons that you can learn from these games and, and applying them. I, you know, obviously it's great if you could win too, but you know, that, that gives it an added element. But I'm, I'm really, like I said, I'm, I'm never in things just to win. You know, I'm, I'm in it to, for the experience and I would love, it's more, okay. When I, when I say I'm not in it to win, I'm not necessarily in it to hit it big, like the lottery, right? Winning the lottery, not that it wouldn't mean shit to me. I'll take the money, please. If you want to give me your winning lottery ticket, I will take it. But what I'm saying is that it means much more to me to be able to win something because of skill that you've honed in and developed. And that's why, like, I really think you know, I, I have a competitive streak in me that I never really knew I had. And I discovered it after, you know, I got off the road. Music's not very, I mean, it could be competitive. I mean, there's award shows and things like that, but those are not, and I'm going to mess up the word. They're not, um, oh man, they're subjective, right? There's not really an objective measure of music. You can't have like a singing competition. Like the voice isn't an objective competition it's just bullshit man you have no idea who's pulling the strings that's why oh that's why i started getting drawn to sports because sports are 
objective. I mean, if you catch the ball and your feet are in bounds, then you caught the ball. Obviously, you can get screwed. There could be bad plays. Again, variance plays a big role in sports because you can be lucky or unlucky, and luck plays a huge part in success. But, you know, when it, like comparing music to sports and games of chance, like there's nothing that rules music. I can't, I can't tell you. Like to be a successful musician, I'm not sure what you got to do. You would say like you have to sing really well, you have to play your instrument really well, you have to write a great song, but I bet you you could find someone in your life who is a great singer, a great songwriter, a, a local band that you know that is not going to do jack shit for the rest of their life. They'll just always be playing in their basement or playing local gigs because it's not about that. At the end of the day, it's about something it like luck and variance is such a much is much bigger factor when it comes to music. I, I think patience and perseverance is a big thing with it too. Um, and again, I'm only speaking from this experience because the only experience I really know, but uh, again, I really like games of chance because it seems like with patience, perseverance and developing the right skill, you really can get an edge that can turn you into a winner. Uh, you know, I like fantasy sports for the same reason. Um, you know, being able to pick the right people and just, you know, I, dude, if I won, if I got the top spot out of a million people in like a, a fan duel tournament or something, it wouldn't even be about the thousands of dollars that I won. Again, super awesome. I'll take the money. It's not going to set me up for the rest of my life, right? It's more that you have developed a skill that allows you to win and gives you an edge. It's almost like, it's almost like, developing a skill that you could turn into money at any time. I know that sounds crazy and people roll their eyes at me all the time um, when I say this type of thing, but I, I really do believe that. And that's what Mike McDermott is saying through this whole thing. He's like, I believe that it comes down to skill, right? It's not just about luck. And, you know, I still do think, uh, despite poker having emerged and being like a, a sport, basically, I think a lot of people really don't think of it that way. I mean, look at esports, right? I mean, that's a, like that's a skill, but and it seems like people are accepting that, but you could say the same thing that it's about luck. You're playing in like a virtual reality. I guess it's just more like that there's no money changing here. It's not again, it's like the same thing uh historically, it doesn't have the same oh man, negative connotation is what I'm looking. I I'm losing words. I'm like chilling so hard in my chair right now my feet are i'm gonna kick on my feet oh man i'm tired i should take in a nap but again this is a week of getting shit done and we're gonna do this and uh i'm gonna be really interested if people a listen to this and b find this interesting because this could be like the best idea that i've had in a long time or it could be the worst idea i've had in a long time i think that people do like uh if you think about this there was like a there's like a drive-in movie theater type show do you remember that like uh what was it like i think they watched scary movies and there was like these people in the front they would just comment over the movie while it was playing i forgot what it's called but i always thought that was cool you know it's like using it's using existing media to create something brand new and this is the end of um it's funny all these people around mike mcdermott come in and out of his life and influence him you know his girlfriend was there but she's out of the picture her storyline basically ended pretty early in this movie and we're almost at the end of worms his best friend 
and he learns something from each of them. <laughs> it's like Aesop's fables up in here. This is such a bad idea, though. In general, let's go like play with a bunch of cops. I don't, I don't know. It doesn't sound like a. Doesn't sound like a good idea. That sounds like the what, what are you saying? I don't even know what you're saying. The psycho or the exorcist theme song. Oh, God. Come on, Doesn't God. it? What did he Oh, there's an ace of spades on the bottom. Oh, man. You know what I think this little lesson here is? I don't think it's like to not be loyal and not to go down with your friends, but I think this this encourages Mike that playing it straight is the way to go. Like it forces him, you'll see in a second, it forces him into a situation where he has to, like it's all on him and he has to basically confront his demons in order to get out of the spot that he's in. And this shows Worm's true colors too and basically what he does to get out of things. Worm is such a Florida person. Worm totally... Um, <laughs> Worm totally leaves and goes to Florida. That's like my perception of Worm and, and who he is in this movie, the type of person that he is. This is a really great, really great speech about, uh, this is good from Worm. This is like his. Think like that. No, you don't think. No, I don't think like you. 
You always think you can beat the game straight up. That's not me. I told you, I'm always going to look for that edge. Always. All right, what's the edge now? What the yeah, see, that, that was like the summary. That's what I meant. I just had to shut up so that we could hear that together. <laughs> it's, uh, I love that. You know, it's like, I don't, I don't think like you. He's like, he said, you don't think. He's like, I don't think like you. And that's a great, you know, that's a, that's a great lesson, man. I mean, it just, it shows you like there's different ways to skin a cat, but like I said, I think this emboldens Mike to do it his way even more so. And it all comes full circle. The guy that he lost his bankroll to is the same guy that he's going to be beholden to if he doesn't dig himself out. It's funny. I forgot what part. So there's there's different parts of a story. I'm gonna look this up. I, again, I love the idea of storytelling, and uh, you know, in in another life, I've I was a writer or something like that. But uh, I'm trying to figure out what part of the story story arcs. Story arc template. Here you go. Um. Yeah. Hold on. Breaking down. I love Google, man. You can learn everything. I'm so tangled up in wires. Holy shit. Come on, just show me the freaking. Oh my god. Fold or hang tough. Call or raise the bet. These are decisions you make at the table. Sometimes the odds are stacked so clear there's only one way to play it. So, yeah, like, event one, two, three, the climax, the falling out, the character deals with what has happened, and then the resolution. I think that that was the climax, right? Where they all get beat up. Or, or is the climax when he went? I don't know. It's almost like there's, like, a double arc here, right? Because every time someone walks out of his life, it's kind of like the climax, and then he's dealing with you know, the falling action and the resolution, how to move on. And then it's like cyclical, you know, and he just, he had his girlfriend. Like maybe it's about Mike being codependent. Maybe this is a movie about codependence, man. See, that's why I love watching movies. And you can understand why we didn't start with the Kubrickian stuff, because there is so much to read in those movies, especially like The Shining. It's like that chair wasn't there before. He meant that. And I truly believe that directors, like there's nothing, especially back in the day, like, okay, so this was 98, that's back in the day, but especially in like the 70s and the 80s, when they were editing everything by hand, they really didn't have shit automated. If you think that they missed, like someone like Stanley Kubrick missed something because of continuity, you are out of your mind. The Shining especially is great. There's a net, well, there was a documentary, I think it happens to be on Netflix, uh, Shining documentary. I think, yeah, uh, called Room 237. You have to watch it because it sounds like the biggest crock of shit ever. But when you realize the type of filmmaker Stanley Kubrick was, he didn't make mistakes. Same thing with The Shining. I mean, it's, it's amazing. Like the little things that he puts in the background to signify what's really going on in the story and the undertones that you should be reading. And I, we'll, we'll get into those again. If this goes pretty well, if I got a couple of people who listen and say, yo, that was pretty dope. I'll do those as well. But, uh, yeah. So you can imagine why I have to start with something lighter. This is just about life and shit. This is about, you know, how poker is a metaphor for life. And I love talking about poker, obviously. Oh, did you hear I just said talking? 
Damn. New Jersey has rubbed off on me. It's crazy. I never thought that that would happen again. Um, once I left here, I thought, uh, you know, I was a child of the world. But, you know, actually flying in, I was, you know, down south for, for work for a little bit. I flew back and I kind of walked outside. Uh, I fly into Newark, New Jersey, Newark Airport. I saw the the Budweiser factory and, like, all of the buildings around, the cranes and all the noise and shit. And, you know, I kind of felt like I was at home. It's messed up. Like, I never understood how Northeast people dealt with it, man. The, the weather sucks here. The people in general suck. It's crowded. Everyone's upset. And it gets dark at, like, 3.30 in the afternoon. But there's just something about these places. They got a soul. And, uh, you know, it winds up feeling like home sooner or later. I guess anywhere could really, really feel like that if you stay there long enough. But... Yeah, I don't know. Something about Jersey. Jersey isn't the worst place, especially where I'm situated. I got a uh, kind of close to everything. I went, oh yeah, I was in Philly uh, about a week ago. I think I talked about that on the last episode of the podcast. I was uh, there for a show with the Scene Aesthetic, which went really well. It was an awesome show. It's funny because they had Emo Night right after we played. So we were kind of like the opening act for Emo Night. But uh, it was at this place called Kung Fu Necktie in Philadelphia. Super cool. I mean... It was very much a throwback. The place smelt like every place I played across America, every shitty bar. And uh, But it wasn't a shitty place. It was great. Like The sound was really good. The vibe was super cool. Everyone was great. Um, it was a really, really good show. And it felt like old times. I mean, there were people there. There were people singing along. So I just wanted to... Um, I doubt that if you that you've made it this long into the podcast. But if you have, thank you for coming out to Philadelphia. That was such a good time. And... Uh, I don't know, it it really made me appreciate, you know, what I what I built when I was a teenager. But it's so funny, like, I don't know, I could not imagine me going on a tour. I, I couldn't imagine me playing those songs every night for people. Now, if I was in, like, an arena and, like, I had three more albums after that and I was, like, playing that song as, like, one of 50, that's a totally different story. But I just can't imagine, and I hate to knock on people because I'm not being a dick. And and again, not a bad thing. Like power to people who are still hanging in and touring and singing the same stuff that they wrote when they were teenagers. Like if you could do that and find happiness and success in it, then you beat me. You know, I, I had to unfortunately abandon that because I couldn't find success and happiness in it, you know. But um, I, I was just thinking like if I had to do this every night, like I don't know, how much could I... How much could I scrape together? How many times could I do this and, and do it well? Like doing it one night, I hadn't played those songs for years. I'm talking about like a decade or something. And uh, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was a cool experience, but I, I don't, I don't think I could do that every night. Back to the movie. It's funny. Kanish is, and Kanish is always like he is the, the guy, John Tartuto, the uh, Mr. Deeds Butler, Betty Betty Sneaky. He's always there, right? He's there in the beginning when he loses his money. He's there in the middle when he's trying to grind it back. He's here at the end. Again, it's metaphor, right? It's it's really cool. I, I think they meant to do that as well. The girl's there when he's towing the line, but she disappears at, shortly after. Worm's there when Mike's helping him, but he winds up running away. Kanish is always around. He's constant, That's but that's his character. It's pretty cool. John, I don't remember. 
He's talking about the time that he beat Johnny Chan. Tran. Chan? Tran? I don't know. I'm a bad... I'm a bad person. I'm not a true poker fan. Oh. I got some favorite poker players. Phil Ivey's probably mine. I, that, that's like the when I grew up with Mike the Matisau, Phil Helmuth, Daniel Negreanu, Phil Ivey. That was probably right around when this movie came out and people were really into poker. It was mainstream for a little bit. I remember in Ocean's Eleven... Is it Ocean's Eleven? Yeah, I think it's Ocean's Eleven. Like, uh, George Clooney goes out to Las Vegas and Brad Pitt, Rusty, is teaching, you know, a bunch of celebrities. Like, the guy from Seventh Heaven and Dawson's Creek, and he's teaching them all how to play poker. And I think that's, you know, that's to say, like, the early 2000s, late 90s, early 2000s, that's when, like, poker was cool, and everyone wanted to play poker. And, yeah, I, I think that has since faded definitely um you know why i think it faded is because online poker became a thing and then there were some issues because the companies were offshore i think one it was either party poker or one of them like blew up and took everyone's money and i think everyone had a bad taste in their mouth from that and so from it's been a long road for poker back to relevancy obviously like the world series of poker always does really well i love watching final tables that's how i got back into poker is there it must have been on like espn or something and I was just watching a final table and it's, it's so cool. It's like a reality show, but it's, it's actual reality, right? Cause it's unscripted. You don't know what's happening. Um, and it's just, it's cool to follow. And I, I got into, I, I don't do it so much anymore. I got, I was really in, there's like a poker channel on whatever TV uh, service I have. And, uh, dude, I was watching that all the time, but, uh, that's when you start to realize that there's a lot of weird people that play poker. I do like the YouTube thing, though. Like I said, Jeff Slazinski is awesome. His name's Jeff Boski on YouTube. There's also this girl, uh, Marley, um, on YouTube. She just started her her uh, YouTube channel. So if you search Marley, girl, poker, I mean, she'll come up if you're interested in it. She's super cool, too. She's a great-looking girl, and, you know, so obviously she's blowing up immediately. And, and I, hate to, I hate to play this card. For women on social media, I feel like it's so much easier to get things started than for guys. And, you know, what type of following is it? I can only imagine that they get pestered and that that's not a very fun existence to just have guys like cat calling you on social media all the time. But I will tell you, man, I want to do some type of study with it because I, I believe that like the top pages are, I think that there's a huge bias towards women on social media because I don't know, it just works out a little bit better for them. No one wants to, you know, just watch a guy squat. You know, a bunch of girls aren't, like, subscribing to, like, Donnie Florida's Instagram because they want to look at his butt. But, like, there are a million dudes who... Joe Rogan said it really good. There's, like, a girl's ass on Instagram that has more followers than everyone that you know combined. It's crazy, man. All right. This is probably the climax. Here's that music I was talking about. He just got a check from the guy who... You know, his, his professor who gave him permission to be himself. Everything comes full circle. Just walking in here makes me queasy. 
to the brick walls, the fucking mopes at the tables, the musty smell. I feel like Buckner walking back into Shay. But what choice do I have? So you have my money? I owe that money tomorrow, right? Well. So, it's still mine. For the next eight hours, it is yours. But if you don't have it all by then, then you are mine. I'm looking for a game. Man. And see, this is not recommended. Anyone will tell you this is not when you press. But, you know, for uh, cinematic purposes, it makes sense. You press when you're up, man. Double down. Terrible Russian accent by what's his name? The real John Malkovich. This is my favorite part of the movie, so I don't know if I'm going to talk much, but hopefully I've been keeping along. They're at like their... This is it. It's him and Teddy KGB up. Mike Scott Kings. He's raising to start. I <laughs> love that part. Doyle Brunson says the key to no limit is to put a man to a decision to put all those chips. Teddy's just done that. He's representing Aces, the only hand left in my Cowboys. I can't call him give him a chance to catch. I can only fold if I believe him. Or three raise our moments. That's the aggression we were talking about. Because once it goes to a flop, it's uh, it's anyone's game. He's got kings now, but what if it comes out 3-3, three, three, 10? He's got... He was playing 10-3, man. You're fucked. It's the right play. That's where I'd like to be a little bit more aggressive. And there he just made $5,000 from doing nothing. Didn't even have to flip his cards. In a heads-up match, the size of your stack is almost as important as the quality of your cards. I chopped one of his legs out in the first hand. Now all I have to do is lean on him until he falls over. This is a good one too. Catching that jack on the turn, you got lucky there. Yep, it's luck. So the 
that's it. Just like a young man coming in for a quickie. I feel so unsatisfied. You must feel proud and good. Strong enough to beat the world. The best part of the movie right here. This is what I was talking about. What'd you say? Your money. Hope you're watching. Still up uh, 20 grand from this last time I stick it in you. <laughs> You're trying to go with me. Yeah, trying to own me. But this isn't a gunfight. It's not about pride or ego. It's only about money. I can leave now, even with Grandma and KGB. And halfway to paying Petrovsky back. That's a safe play. Mm-hmm. I told Worm, you can't lose what you don't put in the middle. Deal, but you can't win much either. Man. That's crazy. I would not have made that call. I would have been out of there, been like, see ya. I'm up. I'm good to go. That's where I can't be talked into it. But he's right. You can't win what you don't put in the middle. Poker favors the bold. That's what my friend Sean told me. It's still something I got to learn. Oh, man. Oh, man. You must be kicking yourself for not walking out when you could. The judgment. Well, man, so they're showing him and he's got no chips. And this is where he finds out what Teddy K. It has something to do with the Oreos. And when he eats them, he's got a hand. Yeah, because he just ate it. So when Teddy KGB eats the Oreo, he's got a hand and he just found it. When he doesn't eat it, he doesn't have a hand. Is that how it goes? This is great. This whole sequence at the end is wonderful. And he's going to show him what he folds so that he knows that he knows. Top two pair. It's a monster hand. I'm going to lay that down. Because you got two four and I'm not going to draw against some main hand. Oh, man. Oh, man. Why is that? 
fall from there? Why the fuck you fall? The fuck did you lay that down? He looks at the Oreo. Looks at him. They're the. <laughs> Let's play some cards. Oh, it's great. I I feel like they totally had to get him to say that line. Oh man. The moral of the story, don't eat at the poker table. It annoys everybody. And it could be a tell. Alligator of blood. Oh, yikes! What happened here? Six, seven, ten. He's got the eight, nine. I think he does. I'm just not talking because I don't want to talk over these beautiful John Malkovich lines. And there's the ace of spades, which keeps it fucked him with worm, and here it should set him free. I'm recording the podcast where me and Enzo watch a movie and talk to everybody. <laughs> they don't understand. 226 shit. Oh man. Enzo, what do you think? He did it. I'll take him. It's almost done. What? Less than five minutes. 
Oh man. And the line of this movie. He beats me. Straight up. Pay him. Pay that man his money. There it is. Oh man, and see that that was it, because if he that's the whole thing. Play it fair and he can. He proved to himself that he could do it if he played it straight up. Wow. The lesson he learned from Worm but reinforced. And now he knows. He got permission from everyone else, but now he got it from himself. Validated. I think that's what everyone's chasing at the end of all of it, you know? Is validation that they uh they can do what they want. And they can do it successfully. So many people just don't take a shot because they're scared of failing. It's crazy. I think that means $30,000. Unless it means $300,000. That sounds like a lot of money. Now, yeah, he's going to say goodbye to the girlfriend. I don't know about this part. I think that this was the Hollywood. This is going to be my vote for, um, you know, the producer saying, well, hey, man, you got to close the love loop, bro. Because there's no reason for her to come back. But it's cool. We did it. I'm so proud of both of us. I'm proud of you too, Enzo. Little Enzo sitting in my arms, just laying here like a baby. We did it. We said we were going to. What's been? How long? That's going to be two whole hours almost, right? That sounds about right. It was wonderful. I hope you got some nuggets from this. If you like it, make sure that you subscribe to the podcast. Make sure that you like all the posts on that there social media. <laughs> and stay tuned for... Uh, some other episodes well, if you liked it maybe we'll make it a regular thing I'll bring some popcorn you could bring your friends I'll bring my friends and maybe we could all be friends <laughs> you never heard that before yeah. you, you don't like it though uh, we're, we'll let the uh, we'll let this last part go uninterrupted thanks for hanging out with me uh, Dave Malillo conversation piece yeah <laughs> oh man. Alright, so Hold on. Oh, it's not about luck, right? First prize at the World Series of Poker is a million bucks. Does it have my name on it? I don't know.